Alrighty, everyone, welcome back. This is Tavis Killian with Rare Petro, writing, recording, and editing a brand new episode of Monday Madness on July 3rd, 2023. That's right, this week our young country celebrates its 247th anniversary of gaining independence. Of course, there was a short history of British rule preceding that, but the idea of breaking away from a tyrannical government that had no idea how the other side of the world lived is still badass. You think it's difficult to communicate with politicians now? Imagine doing so with letters instead of email and Twitter, or having to sail the ocean to see politicians rather than hopping a quick flight to D.C. Despite having access to those modern conveniences, it still seems like we are headed down a uh, less than ideal path politically. Lots of rules for thee, yet not for me, and people who make a very glamorous and wealth-riddled career out of being a politician. A different context than a revolutionary war, yes, but... Use the 4th as an opportunity to be proud of the fundamentals this country was established on. Thinking independently, acting autonomously, and living free as long as you bring no harm to your fellow neighbor. I think that is a very simple way to boil it down, and it makes me feel very proud to be your fellow American. But I'd better be careful and move on to the energy news. If I end up using proud and American too many times in the same sentence, I'll probably be accused of attending that January 6th event that is all too famous. So, (laughs) time to dive in. Last week was a bit dreary by the time we hit Tuesday as far as commodity prices go. What started as a price that climbed to $70 turned into one that cratered to $68. Still, not all was lost as it jumped back up to $69 by mid-Wednesday and climbed about $0.25 every day until Friday before closing at $70.70 as it fell into the weekend. I've talked about Monday volatility quite a bit in the past, and I'm able to get cracking on in this episode earlier than usual today, so that is exactly what we're seeing. A bunch of early volatility. A spike up to 71.73, and a dip down to 70.10, before coming right back to where we are at a $71 flat. No idea where it'll finally settle out, but I have a good feeling this week. Sorry, I know that I usually have some more technical analysis or reasoning to back up those claims, but this week I can just simply chalk it up to feeling it in my bones. Besides, attributing it to inventory reports, large changes in demand, or geopolitical events has been pretty damn inaccurate for most of this year, or at least since we settled into this tight, flat band of pricing. In recent weeks, we have seen that the spread between WTI and Brent tends to land in the low to mid $4 range. The past several days have shown some strain between the two as they pull further and further apart. The spread is now at $5. Not a super significant spread yet, but it does bode well for WTI. If Brent gets too much more expensive, well, people will start importing more WTI. Think of it this way. You have a Walmart and a Target near your neighborhood. The only difference is that the Target is right down the street and the Walmart is a 10 minute drive away. You typically shop at the Target because the prices are only 2% more expensive and you can damn near walk to it to grab your groceries. If over the course of the year the groceries at Target became 12% more expensive than the groceries at Walmart, you might notice and start making the drive to Walmart to snag those groceries. Yes, that drive is longer, but you still end up saving quite a lot of money even after subtracting what gas it took to drive there, making it worth that 20 minute round trip drive. This is exactly the calculus importers in Europe are going through when deciding where to get their crude. If Brent was $20 more expensive than WTI, everyone would be buying WTI because it becomes cheaper to ship it across the ocean than to buy Brent locally. Like I said, a $5 spread ain't too crazy, but it's certainly something to keep an eye on. 
Natural gas started to look like it would continue going upwards past 280, but that just isn't the case. It took a hard 20 cent fall, rose back up, and fell again to about 270 where we are today. If I had to predict anything, it would be another week of stability at best before trending downward once again. This will be the fourth time we've seen this pattern since the prices took a tumble in January, but I mean, I guess on the bright side there is a slight upward trend, but it's almost flat. Over the course of this month, we will most likely see the price fall back down to 220-ish, maybe a little bit higher, 225, so nothing too exciting in the realm of commodities this week, so I impart this advice. Patience will pay someday. Next up is the rig count. Another large dip last week, with 8 fewer rigs in the US, leaving us with a total of 674. This time last year, we had 76 more rigs than that. Strangely enough, all of the loss can be centralized to just a few areas. The Eagleford was the only major basin to gain a rig last week. Otherwise, the Williston lost one, and the Haynesville lost six. There is a little more variation at the state level. New Mexico gained two, and Wyoming is up one. On the negative side is North Dakota, down one. Oklahoma, down two. While Louisiana and Texas are both down four. No change in the Gulf. We've seen a lot of rigs targeting unconventional reservoirs go down lately, and that trend continues. This week, it was almost all horizontal wells that were targeting gas that got laid down. It is no surprise that rigs continue to get dropped considering just how long commodity prices have been stuck in this tight band and considering what $70 today means versus $70 four years ago. I imagine that this is only the beginning of a much larger fall of rigs, but I really hope it has the effect of just pulling that slingshot further back. Not so much that energy prices are biblical, because of course that would hurt a lot of people, but enough so that we see those $100 prices once again. Our final weekly statistic to touch on is the inventory report. Nick Fernhout is on a little summer vacay, so I had the pleasure of writing last week's issue, just like old times, and enjoying a little wine spritzer with my data. If you had no idea what any of that last sentence meant, please visit www.rarepetro.com and check out our Thirsty Thursday inventory reports. It highlights important weekly inventory data and puts forth a ton of great visualizations of data from our favorite sources. If you don't have the time to give that a peek, I'll read some of the more interesting bits right here. We've got some great inventory news from the last week, and things were already getting exciting when the EIA predicted a 1.75 million barrel drawdown. Their actual recorded result far exceeded expectations as they reported a drawdown of 9.6 million barrels. That is the largest drawdown seen in a little more than a month and one of the largest of this year. The API made a similar prediction for a 1.5 million barrel drawdown, which was also a bit of an undershot, but not as much as the EIA. Their reported drawdown was 2.4 million barrels. The start of the year made it look like we were in for severe stockpiling of oil, but the past few months would lead you to believe otherwise. In fact, we have been slowly trending downward since then. No major changes in the world of gasoline. Pricing is essentially the same, well, and the domestic inventory remains very low compared to historical trends. In fact, we are only a few hundred thousand barrels away from being below the five-year low for this time period, but it wouldn't be the first breakout we've seen from that band this year. Despite that unusually low supply, the prices really do remain stable. Gas prices are down 3.5 cents, but I wouldn't expect that to last for too long. The holiday weekend and actual 4th are between last report and this report, so it's possible we will see some serious drawdowns as people plan to make the most of a potentially 4-day long weekend for some. That is a massive potential for long road trips. 
Washington State leads the pack at is it is 1.3 cents away from a $5 average gas price, while Mississippi keeps it cool and under $3 at 2.978 per gallon. Diesel prices have found a way to cool off a little bit, almost by 3 cents, despite distillates traveling relatively sideways. That's right, another slight 100,000 barrel build for a three-week change of only a half million barrels. Despite the stability, distillates are still dangerously close to setting new record lows. Propane continues to skyrocket higher than it has been this time of year since at least 2018, so now is the time to stock up if you're looking to grill or heat your house for cheap. I think that wraps up all of our weekly data. Next up, we've got some news for you. It's been a while since anyone openly traded oil outside of the dollar. Well, openly that is. A few months ago we talked about how both Saudi Arabia, Iran, and actually even Total Energies in France settled contracts on the Chinese Yuan. Now we've got a new party playing that game who also happens to be a member of BRICS. India is now paying for Russian oil and Yuan. This is worth noting because India is one of the top importers of Russian oil in quantities similar to China, and their numbers keep on climbing. June imports of Russian oil hit a new record of 2.2 million barrels per day, which also sets a record for the 10th month in a row. And don't forget, a lot of this data is doctored, so keep that in mind. I'm sure that this trend will continue for quite some time if both countries can facilitate it. Prices are low, so India might as well stockpile, and Russia needs the funds badly after being banned from some of the most prominent methods of international payment. This might be a problem for the G7 as India is purchasing these massive quantities outside of the agreed price cap, and I put that agreed in air quotes because 1. Neither India, China, or Russia agreed due to not being part of the G7, and 2. Because these countries represent large enough populations and global trade pools, they could simply give two hoots about what the G7 says. After all, price caps, embargoes, and sanctions are only effective if all parties observe them. Another thing to note is that this isn't just rinky-dink independence importing this oil into India. As of last month, the Indian Oil Corporation, one of the largest state-held Indian energy companies, is now in on the yuan business. This isn't to say that they are aggressively diverting from the petrodollar. In fact, they do prefer to trade in dollars, but if Western banks, and I'm talking Western Europe, can't settle the trades because of sanctions, then they have to go through other currencies, which we have seen most popularly is the yuan, though UAE dirhams are also popular as well. At this point, we are forcing more business Russia's way because of the sanctions, and China is benefiting. Rare Petro predicted many months ago that Russian oil would find its way to markets. People need energy, so they will acquire it any way they can, especially when it is heavily discounted. Next, we have news of supply cuts, but not from OPEC, as you may have guessed. Well, not entirely. This time, it is Russia looking to influence markets a bit by choking back on exports. According to ex-Energy Minister and present Deputy Prime Minister Alexander Novak, quote, As part of the efforts to ensure a balanced market, Russia will voluntarily reduce its oil supply in August by 500,000 barrels per day by cutting its exports to global markets by that quantity, end quote. It's tough to predict exactly what that number means to global markets because, well, Russia isn't exactly reporting what goes out of their country, and any importers aren't exactly honest about the origin of goods coming in. 500,000 barrels per day may not be a ton on its own, but even Saudi Arabia announced it would extend its 1 million barrel per day production cuts into August. Strangely enough, both of those announcements were within minutes of each other. 
Saudi Arabia has released an official statement that says, quote, This additional voluntary cut comes to reinforce the precautionary effort made by OPEC plus countries with the aim of supporting the stability and balance of oil markets, end quote. Russia is a plus member of OPEC, so perhaps it isn't that strange after all. As a matter of fact, Energy Minister Prince Abdulaziz bin Salman referred to Russia specifically when referencing the last OPEC meeting and how they hope to achieve more inter-organizational transparency on production data. These are some strong bonds being formed, and the harder we fight it, the closer they're pushed together. Folks, I think that is all the time we have for today. I don't want to keep you too much longer because I'm sure lots of you are on the road to 4th of July festivities. Get out there, have fun, and take the Tuesday to enjoy yourself in celebration of the one thing that unites everyone in this country. If you enjoyed today's content, go ahead and follow the podcast. We are on every major streaming platform, which makes it especially easy to share with a friend. We are absolute energy nerds at Rare Petro and love learning as much as we can about the industry. If you would love to join that ride, tickets are free, 99, and we would love to have you. All of our other content from podcasts to videos to written periodicals, interviews, can all be accessed on our website, www.rarepetro.com. This has been Tavis Killian, and until we see you next time, take care, everybody.